You are listening to Mining Stock Education, where you'll learn from the top leaders in the natural resource sector and uncover quality mining investment opportunities. You know what, Bill? Too many people run away from past picks, so-called, and um, and I certainly didn't want to do that. Welcome back to Mining Stock Education. I'm your host, Bill Powers, chatting today with my friend Mark Zaret. He is a sick, successful Canadian small cap investor, as well as an advisor to a fund. And Mark, I'm bringing you back on the show by popular demand. I've been getting messages. Can we hear from Mark? And knowing you, you don't necessarily desire to be heard, but there is demand for you to be heard. So welcome back onto the show for the third time. Thanks, Bill. Pleasure to be here. So we chatted about 11 months ago and you shared three picks that you're invested in personally and your fund is also invested in. Uh, But you've also shared with me that the whole idea of giving stock picks out is kind of a bankrupt idea. Could you uh, elaborate on what you mean by that? You know, I remember one, one, one year somebody asked me for a name or two at the beginning of the year and I, you know, I mentioned a couple of names and lo and behold, a name I didn't mention multiplied by about 30 times. And you know, this is the kind of thing that can happen. And then the names that you mentioned, of course, don't do anything at all. So, I mean, all it's really about is a portfolio. So I think I think the only way you can approach this game is a portfolio, which is, you know, somewhat, you know, allocated based on um, simple math, really for starters. Take 10 stocks, put one-tenth of your money in each one, et cetera. Or you know, if you, you discover them one at a time, you don't you don't go all in. You just uh, keep your capital, you know, invest a portion and carry on. And at the end of the day, you have a portfolio. And so, extracting anything from that portfolio is a little bit of a mugs game. But I did put a foot into that water, and so here we are. I'm not going to uh, abandon you know the ideas that I shared a year ago. Uh, I will happily happily update you on them. Um, but I do I really do think that you know. The portfolio approach is, is how investors uh, should go about it. And they should pay very limited attention to what anybody says, frankly. And they should use it as the beginning of their own due diligence and have their own check marks to, you know, to go through a certain list of, you know, what and what makes a good a good stock pick. And um I, I think that's more the value that um can be shared by, you know, people who have been doing this for a long time rather than particular names. So I would say that up front. Um, I think we did chat a bit about that in previous uh, talks, but I just want to want to emphasize that all over again. Mark, even with the portfolio approach, do you believe in being overweighted in more high conviction trades? I do, but you know, I think that's something that you can only develop over over time. You know, what is high conviction, and how do you you know how do you define it, and how do you arrive at something that's that's high conviction? Um, I think there's some experience that goes in, along with that. So it's it's not it's not something to s- start off with. So again, going back to the original example, you have X number of dollars. Don't put half in one name because you are certain it's a winner. You know those kinds of you know gut feel is uh, is is rarely rarely going to work out for you. So if you want to define you know high conviction as something that just literally checks every box. Um, you know, when you know management and uh, there's a certain certainty and there's a certain de-risking that's already happened. So there's, you know, entering a position in that in that way, no, I wouldn't advise that at all. So high conviction is something that can can develop over time and you take your, 
maybe you take your one-tenth of your portfolio and you turn it into, you know, a bigger piece and another de-risking event happens and, and so you're willing to put down a little more money and build it over time, not, not enter it as high conviction. So, I mean, that's typically what, what happens with me when I'm investing, uh, you know, the high conviction comes over time. It doesn't start that way because typically you don't know enough at the beginning. And you prepared some slides to share with listeners. Uh, can you walk us through uh, these slides and give us a review of the three picks you gave on the show last year, please? Right, sure. Yeah, I know. I was thinking about this mor- this this morning, and uh, again with the portfolio idea approach and how important it is to stay with winners. And so I tried to actually quantify this just a little bit because of just exactly how important it is. So I just this is somewhat. You know, I just created this arbitrarily, but but I think it actually can mimic a good outcome, believe it or not, like a very good outcome. Um, and so I've taken ten. I've taken a portfolio of a hundred thousand dollars and allocated it into ten names, ten thousand dollars each, right? And you can pick your time frame. Let's say over one year. Um, you know, you've you've got your one really big win. It's up eight times and so on. So one is eight times, you've got two doubles, you've got three break-evens, and you've got four with absolutely nothing recoverable. And, you know, if you were able to realize that outcome, your 100,000 is 150 at the end of a year. Now, let's say you're just starting and it took you longer and you made a few more mistakes, etc. Let's expand it to a two-year, for example. Um, so you're still, you're still earning 25%. A year it's still it's still a decent return and now if you take that result and you project it over 10 years so that you know you're you're constantly reinvesting and now your your capital is growing it it, it actually turns into real money and the biggest problem I think um, is that people are impatient and they think it should happen overnight and I, I it just doesn't and uh, the reality is it takes time. A lot of hard work, and you know, developing your your method and uh, being patient. And let's just look at that line number one for a second. Eight times. I mean, is that realistic? Well, yeah, we could point out some examples of even in a terrible market where you do get these kind of winners. Um, and in a better market, believe it or not, is I know you know, Bill, you've been around this game for a long time. It's 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 not common, but but it happens with with some frequency. So, you know, it's not unrealistic to hope for a return of that nature. In fact, sometimes it can be much larger. But the point I want to make is you'll never see an eight times win if you sell it at a double. And, you know, the only way you can get that kind of a winner is by sitting and watching and waiting and, and understanding how the story is being de-risked and, and staying with it. And the hardest thing I think to do is to stay with these things when they're working, but that's what you really have to do. Um, in many cases, you know, I mean, again, and yeah, you have to put your own analysis into when, when, when it's right to stay and when it's right to, to take your profit. But point being, you just simply will never get an eight if you sell everything at a two. So, uh, there are times where you just have to be comfortable with the progress and, and hold on for that bigger win. Without it, this is a losing strategy. Without the eight. <laughs> so yeah, that, without, without yeah. those one in 10, perhaps even one in 20, 
that that really um, that really go, you're you're not going to make money at this this kind of game. Hmm. So the kind of the counter argument would be if well if you sell it at a at a double, at least you'll stay in the game. But what you're saying is when you factor in four zeros out of ten positions, if you only sell at a double, you're not going to be in this game very long. Exactly. It's just not enough. You know, you really have to have those uh, those ones that really, really work out in spades for for the the strategy to really pay at the end of the day. Because there are going to be there are going to be those ones that just don't work out, no matter how much work you've done. So the three picks you did on the show last year, one yeah. was more than a double. Yes. One was about one third of the sixty five percent down, and the other is about flat. So uh, could you walk us through those and? How are you yeah, perceiving sure. those? Sure. So I, again, I just uh, I'll just scroll down here. I made made some summary notes here. Um, so yeah, Tenaz was the big win. I can't remember the entry price when we talked, but I think it, it was, was it was about a dollar fifty. I think something like that. And it's like three fifty uh, today. Currently trading. Okay, so that was, that was a pretty a pretty nice win. Now you know again, there's some ar- arbitrariness here with timing and. Uh, and so on. I mean, it, it, I, and the ticker I, I, symbol I mean, is TNZ on the Toronto Stock Exchange for especially for audio listeners. The stock we're referring to, right? Yeah, I'm. You know, I'm very happy that it worked out. It, you know, it's almost equally likely that we could still be sitting and waiting for them to do an acquisition, and because a year can go by pretty quickly. Um, but fortunately, I think it was really only just a matter of weeks after we talked, they actually did announce an acquisition, and then shortly, well, no, uh, three months, four months later, they. They actually topped it up a set with a second acquisition, both in the area of um, the Dutch North Sea, mostly natural gas with a lot of other considerations. Um, so I put this up on the screen as a as a, a summary of what's happened. But I just want to draw your attention to something that I personally find interesting, which is the NCIB. So that's uh, where a company's buying its its own stock back, and I think they got an approval for about two point six million. But because it was such a low volume stock, they were only allowed to buy about 6,000 shares a day, which is really not much stock. However, if you take, what is it, about 250 business days a year and multiply it by 6,000, you end up coming up with a number of about 1.2 million, which is what they bought back. So they were basically in the market um, just about every day, buying back the maximum number of shares that they could. and. I think what's remarkable about that is that a lot of companies put out these notices because they think investors treat them as a bullish indicator, which in, in fact they are, but they don't really have um, the intent of making making good on them. They, you know, it's, it's it makes for a nice press release. Then you go and look at their balance sheet and you sort of scratch your head and go, how are they going to be buying back their own stock? They don't have enough capital to run the company. So it's important to, um, when you see these kind of... Uh, of uh, press releases to make sure that the company's actually adequately um, cashed up to even a be, you know to begin the process of buying back shares, and then it's good to watch over time and see if they actually proceed with it. So, in the case of Tenas, they really um, did the did their best to uh, follow up on uh, what they what they said they would do. And this is an energy stock, and you, this was a bet on management, is what you had told us previously too. It's like functionally a shell looking with some cash, looking for a project, and the management team had a good track record, and so you placed a bet on management. Yeah, that's correct. 
management is the, is the number one consideration, I think, in this game, and and that's um, that's um, that's why it was. I think the first stock I mentioned. That's why I mean I was very excited about it. Tony Marino is the guy who leads the team. He's been involved with a number of very uh, large um, enterprises that he's played a significant role in building. Uh, just to correct you, though, well, it wasn't entirely a shell. They did have their Leduc asset in Canada, in Alberta, as a starter. And it was around, I believe it was around 800 barrels a day. So the company has literally tripled, tripled in size. And I think it's well worth noting that they actually have less shares outstanding today than before the acquisitions. So I've never seen this before, to be honest, Bill. I've, I've never witnessed anything quite like it. The share count, you know, being lower um, after after um, all this accretive basic, you know, this work they've done. So I think that just says more about management and, and how they're trying to, um, you know, build this company and share the wealth with existing shareholders rather than um, expanding the party to too, too large a base. You know, how often do you see a company go from, say, 10 million in market cap to 100, but if there's 10 times as many shares out, uh, the price has not changed. So the fact that they've done all this with uh, without issuing shares is frankly quite remarkable. And they've mostly done it with um, assuming decommissioning liabilities, um, and so those are those are debts that are quite far down the road. And there's something worth saying about them as well. Um, you know, over time, those. I mean, it, sure, you could you could argue they could go up, they could go down, and it, it's valid to say that. But but in a way, I look at it as a loan to be paid off in future likely not to be exceeding uh, the rate of inflation and possibly improving you know over time but just the fact that they keep that capital today and have an, the the ability to to use it to some degree I mean it's probably mostly on their balance sheet as restricted cash but uh, nonetheless you know I think it was quite brilliant of them to uh, to be able to acquire these acquisitions through uh, simply uh, taking on the decommissioning so this is one you would hold. You're already up over double your money, but you're holding. Absolutely, haven't haven't sold a share, and in fact, uh, increased the position. You know, well after we spoke, and at higher prices, which you know we can we can we can get into that as well if you like. I mean, um, I, I think I know I know personally, it's very hard to pay more than you've paid previously. But again, it's it's that de-risking factor that comes into play. And the advancement of the story, the advancement of the liquidity of the of the uh, of the you know of the trading. So even so, though the share price is higher, the value proposition is cheaper. Well, it is actually. It's still one of the cheapest stocks I can find. It's still like one times cash flow. Yeah. So it's it's still a, still a cheap stock. Um, just back to that NCIB, just for a second, uh, with the average shares per day now much higher, they'd re. Uh, reintroduced um, that buyback program um, with actually less shares because there are less shares outstanding, but with the volume being higher now, so now they're able to buy more shares per day. And they're, they've got a significant amount of cash. So uh, just the other day, they bought 35,000 shares out of the market at, at over three, you know, in the low threes. So again, I think, you know, this is a good example of a story that for me personally, um, you don't sell. If their business plan is acquisitions and accretive acquisitions structured favorably, is a rising oil price 
and let's say a dramatically fast rising oil price, would that be one of the threats to this investment thesis? Well, that's where you get your alpha from. So you've got your great management group. And now you ascertain, well, is there wind at their face or wind at their back, right? And with a rising price, it you know, these acquisitions just become even even richer. I guess what's behind my question is, could it hinder future acquisitions if those assets that they would otherwise be able to pick up cheaper during a lower commodity price are valued more so the sellers are less eager to sell them? You know, sure. Uh, I guess, you know, sellers will become a little tougher in a rising oil market. Um, but, you know, what they have done, and I think smartly, is they've uh, focused on parts of the world where there's less competition. And so they're not at all interested in the U.S. as far as I understand, because, you know, for every asset that comes for sale, I think they were mentioning in a presentation that there might be eight or 10 bids, if not even more. And in in parts of Europe there's uh, and Africa, there might be only one or two bids. So yes, you're correct. You know, it might it might make it a little more difficult for them to continue on the acquisition uh, trail. But um, they are targeting areas that are not as crowded, and um, you know, I think that will work to some degree in their favor. Anything more to say about Tanaz Energy before we move on to the next one? No, I think that pretty much covers it. I mean, they're you know they've got a significant amount of working capital. I suspect they'll be. I don't know when, tomorrow, in a year, six months, there will likely be more acquisitions. I mean, they've been pretty clear that they're looking to build a mid-sized oil and gas company here. So, um, you know, you might want to ask, well, what kind of hiccup would cause you to change the view, right? When do you walk away? I mean, if I started to see very large share issuances for deals that didn't seem to be quite as rich, maybe I'd start to feel a little queasy and decide, you know, maybe it's time to start looking at lightening up a bit. But um, now for the time being, it's a keeper. And moving on to our next one. Moving on, um, this I believe the next one I mentioned was Fortune Bay. Mm-hmm. It's probably worth mentioning, Bill, that you know in this kind of game- And let's say the ticker I, symbol F-O-R on the venture for those listening. Right. And this is gold and uranium, correct, if I recall? Primary gold with uranium exploration. I, I just wanted to mention that, you know, if you if you if you talk about a, a twenty five cent stock, for example, um, this one, um, you know, a twenty percent range one way or the other is is virtually meaningless. So in this area of illiquidity that we deal with and deal with on a daily basis, um, you know, two people want to buy the stock, it could trade at thirty. Two people want to sell the stock, it could trade at eighteen cents. So um Really, I, I consider this kind of like this one of these things that's mostly flatlining. It traded a little higher, traded a little lower. It's a little lower right now. Um, but in terms of, of an event, there hasn't been one. And so that's why nothing's happened in, 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 in the share price. And uh, again, it's something I fully expect to, to have to deal with. And I don't know if it's this year or next year, but I know that in my way of measuring these junior stories, it's one that I maintain a position in and, and in fact, you know, have also been buying um, on those days where, you know, somebody comes out and says, I want out of this thing and I want out now. And, you know, suddenly it might be trading at 16 or 17 cents. So, um, so I've maintained the position and, and actually increased it. And uh, 
what we're really looking for is news. And so, you know, if the stock gets a little cheaper, then, you, you know, I take it as a, as a buying opportunity. And when the stock goes up a nickel, I don't treat it as a selling opportunity because, uh, you know, these things take time. If, if you want to uh, accumulate a position, you, again, because of the liquidity, you have to make liquidity your friend. You can't, you can't be scared off by it. So um, I look forward to those random sellers that might come along, you know, with no motivation other than they need some, some change or they, they need to, you know, um, whatever, for whatever, whatever reason they may have, you know, if the story in itself has not really changed, if it's intact, then I treat weakness as, as a buying opportunity. Um, so let's just take a quick look here. You know, why was I excited about this and, and remain, you know, a happy shareholder? Basically because uh, of their assets. They've got, give or take, a million shares in Saskatchewan, a million, uh, sorry, a million ounces indicated in, in um, Saskatchewan, another million in Mexico. Um, I, I didn't put the grades on here, but they're over a gram um, uh, per ton. And found a little report yesterday on the internet from Cypher Research, which was quite interesting. Um, and it, it, it got, it did a whole analysis of what are ounces in the ground worth. I can't remember the number of companies they looked at, but they looked at a very significant number of companies that had been um, involved in, in acquisitions, had been bought and um, over a 23 year period and determined that the average Average and it's a very large spread, but the average uh, value of an ounce in the ground is sixty-three dollars of you know of acquisition value. Um, so I wanted to point out a recent transaction. So this is a transaction that just occurred in the last few months, which was Step Gold acquiring a company called Anacortes, um, and and that company was bought for eight dollars an ounce. So I consider that a very low number, and I think there's reasons why it's a low number excuse <clears throat> me there's reasons why it's low a we have a terrible market we have i think the worst junior market i've ever seen frankly um <clears throat> and you also have an you also had an asset in peru and peru is not everybody's favorite jurisdiction these days to say the least so nonetheless they they still did a transaction valuing their deposit at, and by the way similar similar to um Fortune Bay in the way of, of, you know, of size of deposit. It's a similar type of project. Um, but they got $8 an ounce. So here we have uh, Fortune Bay still trading at um, under $3 an ounce in the market. So an $8.6 million market cap, uh, under $3 an ounce uh, in the ground. Both, well, so the box, Athona, that's uh, the Goldfield project in Saskatchewan, has a current PEA on it. Very robust numbers. Uh I would suggest if anybody's even you know thinking about buying this stock, just go and read the PEA, have a good look at it. Um, and in the Iquiton in Mexico, I think, is officially determined now as a, a historical uh, document. I, I can't remember the exact lingo, but it's not it's not a current PEA; it's a historical. So that would need to be upgraded um, for them to ever you know to carry on and 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 uh, ever see the light of day on that deposit, but. Uh, recently, they've been announcing that they are uh, resuming work there. So, we probably see a revised PEA on that maybe within the next, I don't know, I don't want to even guess, uh, maybe a year, who knows, um, maybe a little longer, but but they are going back to work in Mexico as well. So, it, it still remains to me to, you know, to be a very good story to hold. 
any value to the uh, uranium exploration? Um, the value there, I think, can only be measured in the sense of, let's call it human capital, because the guy who's doing that work is Dale Varen, who worked for Denison for years and knows the Saskatchewan uranium situation better than anyone. So um, have they come up with anything of real interest to date? No, they haven't. And that's a little bit of a, a kicker, if you like, on the story. Um, nothing, nothing much to report there, although they've they were modestly encouraged with the initial results, but um, it takes it takes a lot to move a market these days. They weren't market moving results. Um, they just sort of demonstrated that they were kicking tires in the right in the right kind of area. But uh, I would honestly value that right now at zero, um, and that may change over time. Uh, but the only other thing I wanted to point out on this Fortune Bay just is the sensitivity to improving gold price, and it's pretty clear there that the interesting thing is that if gold goes up 18%, uh, the net present value of, of of the deposit goes up 61%. So, you know, these stories, they just provide a lot of upside if you get the right move in the commodity and management is able to to execute. So it remains, it remains a sleeper, um, but it's one that I uh, maintain the position in and buy occasionally. And our third one we talked about last year. Right. And let's give the full name and ticker for this one too, please. Yeah. Grounded Lithium tickle, Ticker GRD. Uh, this is the one that's been a disappointment. Uh, it's in particular disappointing because lithium has remained a very topical and, you know, many lithium stocks are doing quite well. So, this is the kind of, you know, going back where we started today, you know, you can do your work, you can, you know, feel good about management and the project and many aspects of the story and still end up with a stock that's lost, uh, I don't know what the number is, Bill, 60, 65% of value since we talked about it. Yeah, so, you know, what, what, uh, I guess the real question is why. Well, there, there is some, there are some things that have happened. I think over the last year that have resulted in that change. Uh, so, if we want to just look at this slide for a second, um, there are some, you know, there's a reasonable comparison to make with E3 lithium, which has done, you know, extraordinarily well in the market uh, in terms of you know their cash costs and um, the grade. And so on. Uh, grounded is just. Um, let's look at the why, perhaps why it hasn't done well. So, what I determined here, and you can see it, good shareholder base. So, unfortunately, I've had to put a no in there. Um, I believe it started reasonably good, um, but I think the company made a bit of an error in um, launching a marketing program that targeted U.S. investors, and unfortunately. You know, I find a lot of those marketing programs create the the shape of a pyramid in a stock, a perfect pyramid. And sometimes they go lower when they're over. And in this case, it's actually gone lower. So, you know, like it or not, marketing to the average people who read marketing materials, they're looking for they're looking for hot trades. They're looking for short term wins. I think if the company could do it all over again, they they likely would have done it differently. 
So what ended up happening is that the stock did well, I think, uh, for a time, um, but it was driven by by short-term traders. And when the momentum started to come out of the uh, the buying, uh, they left and they left in 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 droves. And I'd be surprised to think that there's any net buyers that resulted in that that effort. And and um, so you know they spent money uh, that I think might have been better spent you know in other ways um the other main differential between e3 and grounded is that you know um e3 has progressed to the pilot plant uh stage and when they announced that the stock basically had a really really nice run um interestingly developing dle technology i mean this is this is one i find very interesting in a way because if companies today come out and say we're working on our own solution, they're able to get all kinds of grant money. So E3 got twenty-seven million dollars from the Canadian government uh, because they were working on new new technology that's considered green. And so a lot of you know a lot of a lot of fundraising opportunities can come about through that that effort. Whereas Grounded said we're not doing that. We we like the technology we see that's already available. And so, because of that, they were in a in a sense, in a sense penalized. Um, they weren't able to raise that that kind of money for uh, research and development. So um, that's that's kind of a, a that one's a little bit of a head scratcher, frankly. Um, but nonetheless, um, it means less exposure, less less headlines, less money coming in the till, and um, and that's something they're just going to have to work through. I mean, if they really truly believe that they've got a similar asset, granted smaller than E3, they're a bit smaller, but um, a similar type of asset. It, I, it, you know, the the bet is still on, so to speak, Bill. I mean, if the asset ends up holding up, um, there'll be there'll be some kind of recovery, I think, in the share price. And most recently, they announced um, a private placement um, at eleven cents. Unfortunately, I wish it were higher, but it's at eleven cents. Uh, doing a small raise. And the interesting thing about that is that insiders are putting in $250,000. So I do remember being on a phone call with them and saying, look, you know, one thing the market I think would really like to see is you guys stepping up to the plate. Well, I'm personally satisfied at this point in time anyway, that they are stepping up. It's not a ton of money, but for the, you know, management group to put throw in $250,000 of restricted shares at this point in time, frankly, is even better than buying on the open market because you know they're living with the, the four month restriction they're 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 doing the right thing i think they're doing the right thing now um so we'll see um again you know uh going back to the portfolio um uh, this this one is still in play i'd say it's still a good chance of a recovery but you've got to watch the press releases carefully watch their action and um and you know make a decision as, along the way you know my personal decision is to stay with it um it's a good sector they've had a few missteps i think but um, i don't think the story's over and um we'll just see how it continues to unfold and mark you don't use stop losses so you're down i think around 65 percent. but some people do 25 percent stop losses or something like that that's not something that you would employ well, I personally don't believe in stop losses at all, whatsoever, frankly, in any shape 
way, shape, or form. And even in stop losses are only good for traders. And if and and we're talking here of extremely liquid stories that they may be day trading. Okay, I get it. Stop losses are a valuable tool. In any other situation, I just don't I just don't understand it. Um, I think it's the wrong move. And as you come down the liquidity ladder, they make less and less sense because um, you know these stocks can trade twenty five percent down. I, as I said, two people decide tomorrow morning to to sell their position. You can be down twenty five percent, but is that a real down? I mean, that could be just you know down twenty percent on ten thousand shares on twenty thirty thousand shares. It's it's there. It's a meaningless it's a meaningless number to me. So I mean, I could go on at length about stop loss orders. I think they're actually dangerous frankly and you know even in the commodity markets i think the guys who have a lot of experience there they can see those stop loss orders and they love they love cleaning out the stop loss orders around three in the morning on those you know those contracts that trade 24 7. they they have more fun cleaning out those stop loss orders than than anything so uh, i i strongly avoid them in all circumstances frankly was grounded lithium over the last year a little hard too because like you said, lithium is booming. Some of these lithium explorers are going crazy based mm-hmm. on an idea. And then mm-hmm. you feel like you have something real here and it's down, you know, 65%. Yeah. I mean, that just opens up perhaps another thing we could talk a little bit about. And that is, you know, um, promotion. Some companies do it better than others. And and some, you know, I think, um, um, and I'm not... I'm I'm not suggesting anything negative about E3, but there are some very seasoned people involved in that company that that know their audience and 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 perhaps know a little bit more about like it or not, hate to say it in these words, but they know how to run a stock. They know they know you know they know the game, um, and um, so yeah, the promotional uh, aspect has been strong in that story and. At the end of the day, you know, perhaps rightfully, you know, we don't know where these things are going to end right now. There's still the whole lithium brine space. While it's, you know, there are some examples worldwide of it being used at scale. It's still new. It's a still a new technology. Each, each deposit's a little bit different. So we'll just have to, uh, you know, be a be a, a watcher and waiter for the time being. But you know, you're absolutely right. You pick the sector right. You know, you pick you pick. You pick the right asset. You pick a fairly safe jurisdiction with a fairly, um, you know, a, a management group that's had some success in the past, and um, it's not working out. So let's go back to that first slide. I mean, it just, you know, these things can happen. But again, for myself personally, it's not over. So I'm, uh, I'm not going to say the happiest holder on the planet, but I'm, I'm uh, maintaining position. And are you a little bit of an activist investor? Because you're sharing your thoughts here on a, you know, thousands of people are going to listen to this. Would you consider yourself an activist investor? Uh, I would say generally no. What I'm not afraid of at all is to speak to management and make some friendly, kind suggestions that that I think would be helpful. And and so I do that periodically. Okay. And this is your and, last slide for today, this one? Yeah. Yeah. I just, you know what, Bill, too many people run away from past picks so-called and um and i certainly didn't want to do that and uh so i took a little time on each one and uh that's all i've got for you today in the way of slides it was just you know that was just a, a way to, to recap 
um, those three those three names, and and for me to not be looking down at a piece of paper and trying to remember uh, too many facts. So I jotted them down, and so that's all I've got for you today on the way of slides. Yep, and Mark, I think what you pointed out in your first slide about how four out of ten can often go to zero when you're dealing with a high risk, high reward sector. That's something people don't factor in. I've had guests on this show, smart people that have said, if you can get 40% of your picks right at this, you're going to be like the Warren Buffett of junior mining speculation. So that's something that people, even when they critique stock pickers that they don't factor in is that less than half of your picks are actually going to probably yield a good return unless the macro situation and the hyped bull market is there to such a degree that everything goes up. The tide lifts all boats. So uh, that's something to, I think that people seasoned in the sector, they understand that. Yeah, I agree, Bill. I wish I had it with me. I don't. Um, and I hope I'm not misquoting, but we did recently an analysis of of all the wins over the past 11 years uh, in the fund where, where I help out with ideas. Um, and I wish I wish I had it at my fingertips, but I I think I'm going to take a, a a guess here. I'm pretty sure. You know what? If it's wrong, uh, I'll I'll, I'll write a note uh, at some point on your on your YouTube thing. I think it was something like forty three percent of the gains came from five percent of the names. And so you know, again, reiterating what you just said and what we started off with, it's. The concentration doesn't come from putting too much money in. The concentration comes from you know the fact that some of them just, uh, as they can in this sector, just take off and uh, and reward you quite richly. And you just have to uh, manage the others, you know, in this best way you can. And in a cyclical industry, do you think you need to stay on the sidelines strategically until those entry points come along? Not in the way that that uh, that I like to do things, Bill, because. Again, it depends on your size of, of of what you're doing. It depends because if you're if you're doing it in small dollars, and you're very good at picking bottoms, those are probably two things right there that I would advise against. A, you shouldn't be doing this at all with small dollars, frankly. And B, you know, you'll never pick bottoms. But let's just assume for a minute that you you know you're not looking to build serious size positions, and you've got a real handle on timing. Okay, give it a shot. Fine, but you know if you're if you're looking to uh, uh, to develop larger positions, you have to buy when over a prolonged period of time when nobody wants these things. Otherwise, you'll never you'll never get the position size that that you're after. You know if you're if you're looking to build certain size. So I mean, we can occasionally um, own you know, four or five, six percent of a company, but it might take two years, three years to accumulate. And, you know, so all of a sudden the lights go on, you can't, you can't buy size. You can, you can only just buy a small number because now you're in a crowded supermarket reaching for the same shelf that everybody else is. So, you know, I don't, I don't approach things like that. I'm never on the sidelines and almost always largely invested. And that's, Ultimately, that you know, again, the trick. Sure, it's nice, it's nice to always have cash available, but when you get an extended bear market, and I would tell, I would say we're in one right now. Um, you know, cash management becomes a real challenge. You could, you could think we saw the bottom six months ago, and you've been slowly deploying and slowly deploying, and all of a sudden you wake up one day and you go, okay, now I'm just waiting. 
because uh, you know uh, the funds have, have all been been deployed. But by no means, I mean, I just don't. I don't think sitting around with cash is the answer at all. Not for the most, not for the most high torque names, because they will they will advance on a store uh, on, on a on a PR where you just you know you'll be fighting to to buy stock. And if I recall from our prior conversations, uh, like from a fund perspective, you don't think it's uh, good stewardship to sit on cash either, because that's not why investors gave you that money in the first place. They wanted you to go find ideas. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think I, th- I think that's true. Um, now, needless to say, you need to be a good steward of, of capitalist at the same time. Um, so um, it's always a consideration, but large amounts of cash i don't i don't think should be waiting on the sidelines unless you know not in this not in this particular uh, endeavor you know if you're dealing with super liquid bill maybe maybe but then you still have to be a, a timing guy and uh you know there's been so many studies done you know of the the frailty of of trying to you know time the market and so on so well mark i think we'll leave it at that you know, you came back on the show and you talked through your picks from a year ago. And I think this is a, a good demonstration, especially for newer resource investors to really think through what your investment thesis was when you bought the stock. Now, a year later, look at it and say, what went right? What went wrong? Was it management's fault? Did I misperceive something when I bought the stock? These are all good processes to grow as investors. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Yeah, right. lots lots to think about. And by the way, Bill, I still learn something every day. <laughs> there, there's no end, right? So, um, you know, what, what was, I can't remember who it was that said that you know ninety percent of, of of being successful is just showing up. Yeah. And um, so you got to keep at it, you know. And uh, it's there are times where it's you could feel like it's the best best business there is on the earth, and there's the next day where you might just want to say I've had enough but you know at the end of the day you just have to barrel through those all those various conditions and uh, just keep at it well we'll leave it at that as the final word uh, Mark thanks for coming on the show today pleasure see you again Bill Thank you for listening to Mining Stock Education. Please subscribe and share this show with like-minded investors. Connect with us at miningstockeducation.com and sign up for our email list to stay in touch. Much success to you as you learn about, invest in, and profit from mining stocks. The mining business is one that generates gigantic wealth. You know, a good drill hole that converts might cost fifty or $100,000, and it might discover something worth a couple billion. There is no sector that I know of that has offered up as many predictable circumstances uh, where there was the possibility, certainly not the certainty, but the possibility of 10-for-1 returns as there is in small-cap and micro-cap mining stocks. Concomitant with that, if you don't do the work, or even if you do do the work and don't discipline yourself on the sell side, there are very few places in the world where you can lose as much money as quickly as in mining stocks too. I just started to study up on mining stocks and I just became fascinated because this is such a tiny sector and it's so volatile that either you could really, you could do really, really well or you could pretty much get blown out of the water really quickly. 
The mining sector is a very risky sector. It can take your money very, very quickly. Don't fall in love with stocks. Don't be overly confident. And just do your work as best you can. Do your very best. But don't fall in love and don't get too overly confident because um, that's a recipe for disaster. I have met you know, professional retail investors that have made a tremendous amount of money on the junior mining space. Some of them aren't accredited and they just they spend their days researching, talking to people, being on the phone, being pouring through financial documents. But it requires commitment. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be considered personal legal or investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or any other product. We make every effort to be accurate, but the information presented is not to be considered infallible. It may contain errors and we offer no inferred or explicit warranty. If personal advice is needed, consult a qualified legal, tax, or investment professional. Do not base any investment decision on the information contained on miningstockeducation.com, our podcasts, or videos. Make sure you always conduct your own thorough due diligence before investing. Realize that we may hold equity positions in or be compensated by some of the companies we feature and therefore are biased and hold an obvious conflict of interest. For our full disclaimer, please visit our website.